When you can't hear the rhyme And you can't see the reason Why should the hope remain? For a man will be tired And his soul will grow weary Living his life in vain And who are we To justify Welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. That was Ammonia Avenue, the title track of the classic Alan Parsons album from 1984. I've got the huge pleasure to welcome Alan onto the Strange Brew. I think everyone who listens to the Strange Brew will be very, very familiar with Alan's work as an engineer and a producer, and of course, his work with the Alan Parsons project. So let's hear my chat. With Alan. Hello, good morning, it's Alan. Hi Alan, it's uh, Jason Barnard here. Jason. So, um, great to talk to you, Alan. Um, There's uh, obviously a a new box set coming out, Ammonia Avenue. How much involvement did you have in relation to assembling the package? Because it does look fantastic, uh, great attention to detail. Um, Quite a bit. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, I had to to write quite a bit. Um, Sally Sally Wilson did a, a great job in unearthing you know, some really good uh, memorabilia, and that was really her department. And then I have uh, I have a lot of that stuff myself, but uh, I'm in California, she's in she's in the UK, and that's where it needed to be, really. And uh, you know, she did uh, she did an excellent job uh, c- compiling uh, Eric's demos as well. But yes, I was I was heavily heavily involved in the package, uh, to be sure. Uh, disc two, as you mentioned, features quite a lot of Eric's uh, demos and songwriting diaries. Listening back, um, was there anything that surprised you, or, or was there anything new about it that you heard? Um, it, it's always interesting to to be reminded of the history of a, of a song, you know. So yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, his his uh, you know cassette recordings were interesting. You know, you got to glimpse behind the scenes in the, in the song, songwriting process, you know. Sadly, when when uh, when I came up with uh, original uh, songs or instrumentals, I I didn't usually I didn't often uh, make demos. I just uh, steamed straight into it in, in, in the studio, uh, which is why there's no 
no demos of the songs that uh, you know that that you'll notice that there's no no demo for uh, you don't believe and there's no demo for uh, the other instrumental song. You know, I, it, it, it was really good to listen to the original multitracks again. They did have a the, the original mix did have a a certain uh, mm. 80s feel to it because uh, the, the, there was a, a drum uh, sound very very associated with the uh, with the 80s period. Uh, which was called Simmons Drums, and uh, because I was given an opportunity to to remix it, it was uh, I eased back on the Simmons Drums a bit, mm. and uh, it was great to it was great to mix it in surround as well. I think it works really well in surround. I don't know if you've heard it in surround, but uh. yeah. In relation to that, uh, one of the the singles off Ammonia Avenue was Don't Answer Me. And it's got that sort of lovely wall of sound style backing. It was um, yeah. I mean, it was a deliberate attempt to uh, to emulate the Phil Spector sound. Um, mm. And uh, that, that uh, you know, when we decided to give it that uh, spectral treatment, that's when it that's when it came together, and uh, we got excited about it, and it and it was uh, it was a single, and it did very well.
the opening lines of there, it refers to magic, and there's quite a lot of reoccurrence of magic throughout your career, and I understand that's also an interest. It, it is very much. I put out an album uh, in April last year called The Secret, and uh, that's heavily influenced by my uh, passion for magic, indeed. I think uh, Don't Answer Me was, was not uh, necessarily directed at my, <laughs> at my passion for magic. No. I mean, it was Eric's line, not mine. But uh, it was fun. It was fun. And, and the video did. The video got a lot of exposure uh, on MTV. And uh, I think it won some kind of uh, animation award at the time. And um, I just came off a tour in, uh, in Germany uh, from a month long tour of Germany uh, for the Night of the Proms. I don't know if, if you're familiar with that uh, oh, yes. event. It, it happens every year in Belgium and, and Germany. And we actually showed that uh, that video, the Don't Answer Me video, as a, as a backdrop to playing the song live. Hmm. So that was uh, that was a cool thing. In relation to playing some of this material live, um, you know, tracks like Prime Time, do you extend the the, the material uh, live as opposed to recorded? Does it does it change much? Oh yeah, we we we, we give our uh, our lead guitarist a, a lengthy uh, solo, much longer much longer than on the record, hmm. and uh, we actually do a. a Guitar and keyboard, um, lengthy, lengthy solos from, from those when we play it live. Um, it's, 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 it's always been a, a very popular song. We tend to, uh, we tend to wrap up, um, the, the show with, with that song before we leave mm. the stage for, but we, we come back for encores, but that, that's usually the long, the last song of the, of the main set.
And you mentioned your most recent album, The Secret. It does seem to uh, encapsulate some of your uh, classical influences, you know, like the opener of The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes, indeed. Um, well, we, we make no pretense. It's, uh, the, the piece was written by Paul Duca, a, a French composer, and, and the piece is, was immortalized in Fantasia. Mm. You know, Walt Disney's Fantasia. It's the, uh, it's the piece where Mickey Mouse uh, is rushing around a magician's lair, um, carrying buckets of water, and he casts a spell on a, on a broom, and uh, mm. the broom starts doing the carrying. <laughs> Have you, have, have, did you did you see Fantasia? Uh, yeah. You probably, if you haven't seen it, you won't. You'll say, what, "What is he talking about?" <laughs> but, yeah, classic Disney. No, yeah, yeah. And um, yes, it, it, we, it was essentially a rock version of, of of the of the piece, and and a slightly abridged version. The original piece probably runs eight or nine minutes. We we got it down to I think five or six. But so it was fun to do. Got got some great musicians on it. Got. Nathan East playing bass and Vinnie Colaiuta playing drums. Uh, it was very cha- very challenging uh, parts for those guys. Is that the track with Steve Hackett on, or is that another one? Yes, it is. Yep, yep. He does ah. the he does the lead guitar line. And uh, in- interestingly, um, Steve and I were on a on a cruise at the beginning of last year, uh, and he'd already done the, the parts by then. He he uh, we actually worked at a distance. He he just worked in his own studio at his own pace and. We just communicated, uh, you know, through hearing uh, what he was up to, you know, by sending files to each other. And um, some of the uh, vocals on my on, on the Secret album were also uh, somewhat uh, recorded uh, at a distance. I recorded uh, Lou Graham from The Foreigner uh, in New York while I was in Santa Barbara, and Jason Mraz was in Dallas when I was uh, ah. when he so he was singing in Dallas, and I was listening in Santa Barbara. It's totally realistic these days to do that. Internet recording is is here and it's here to stay. It's great.
in the run-up to the creation of the Alan Parsons Project, you had a lot of success as a producer. Was it two number ones that you produced, uh, Pilot and Cockney Rebel, just prior to...? Yes, and, and the, the interesting thing, or the, the amazing thing, was that they were consecutive. Ah. The Cockney Rebel single, uh, Come Up and See Me, took over from, uh, from January as, as a number one. So I was uh, definitely drinking champagne that night <laughs> when I found out that found out that it had been uh, you know I'd, I'd had two consecutive number one hits. It was a great feeling. Am I right that you met Eric in the canteen at Abbey Road? Yes, I mean he'd booked the studio, um, one of the studios. I think it was Studio Two for a, a sort of child prodigy uh, known as Darren Darren Byrne B U R N, and um, he, he was actually a son, huh. the son of an EMI executive and. Uh, Eric had been taken on to produce him, and um, he'd had some success as a songwriter pre- previous to that. But uh, I just sensed he knew the the business, sound recording business. I knew, I, I sensed that he had a, a really good knowledge of it, and uh, he offered to, to become my manager. That's how it all started. Our uh, original arrangement was was pretty much business, but uh, it became creative very soon after. Very soon after we signed each other up for management. So working with Eric and then bringing in some of the musicians from Pilot and Ambrosia, that, that led to the recording of the first project album, The Tales of Mystery and Imagination? Yeah, I mean, it, it just seemed to me uh, a, an ideal situation that, that we had a self-contained band in, in Pilot that we used to working with each other, got on with each other, got on with me. Hmm. <laughs> so it, it just seemed like a, a really good starting point to, to make it the foundation of, of, of first, uh, the first album. And it worked really well. Sadly, uh, Billy Lyle passed away and wasn't able to get beyond the uh, yes. first album. But um, David Payton, Ian Benson, Stuart Tosh played uh, on 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 the first two albums, and then Stuart mm-hmm. Tosh went off to join 10CC, and then we got Stuart Elliott from Cockney Rebel. So it was all kind of family mm. family relationships. It was, it was it was great. Even then, sort of a pioneering use of the vocoder in, in tracks like The Raven? Yeah, um, EMI's uh, research department had, had come up with a, a very primitive machine huh. <laughs> that uh, was a nightmare to use. You had to be, it, had to, it was incredibly fussy on what, uh, what levels and what, uh, what sounds that you could produce with it. But, uh, but it was a vocoder, and it was, um, as far as I know, was the, the first real use of, of a vocoder on a rock album. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a proud moment.
Thus quoth the raven, You followed that up with the iRobot album? That's right, yeah. That was 1977. And impeccably timed to uh, coincide with the release of the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was uh, a good uh, a good piece of timing. And it was also the era of punk rock, you know, the, the Sex Pistols and, and so on. Mm. So um, I don't think anybody who was really into punk rock was really into the Alan Parsons project, but uh, uh, they, they were running concurrently. Punk rock and, and and our first couple of albums. Yeah, do you think that's why, um, in some ways, you had more success in the US and on the continent, whereas it was a bit more the punk thing over here kind of tainted some of that? It, it could be. Um, the thing at the time was that um, we were heavily uh, reliant on airplay mm. and, uh, you know, progressive rock or classic, what has now become known as classic rock, was just not Radio 1 fodder. You know, you needed to be played on Radio 1 to get any kind of attention, really. And uh, we didn't fit into the Radio 1 format, sadly. So we, we, we uh, whereas in America, uh, you know, FM radio was incredibly strong and uh, uh, there were countless uh, 
prog rock stations that uh, that, that were ready to play, play uh, our music. Mm. Sometimes they play a whole side, you know, a whole side of an album, which is something Radio One certainly would never hmm. have done. But having said that, Alan Freeman was always very uh, supportive of us um, at the time. Uh, Bob Harris was always supportive, but uh, you know, just it, it, we just didn't fit into the sort of day-to-day uh, format of Radio One at the, at the time.
Turn of a Friendly Card, a hugely successful album and an interesting concept. Am I right that you were living in Monte Carlo at the time? We were, yes. Um, we both, uh, Eric and I both moved our families there. We actually recorded that album in Paris. We, we commuted to the Paris for periods of a couple of weeks uh, while, while still resident in, in Monte Carlo. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, it was a fun period. I mean, I had, had two, yo- two young sons then who, who enjoyed the, uh, Cote d'Azur sunshine and, and, and the ocean. And it was a fun time for everybody. in relation to Eye in the Sky, you know, hidden casino, cameras, etc.? Yeah, I think um, that was perhaps spelled out a little more in uh, on the Eye in the Sky album, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the, the lyric of Eye in the Sky you know, covers the sort of uh, the security camera, the hidden camera, the the, the notion that uh, we're, we're not alone. Every move we make is uh, chronicled somehow. The linking track to that series has taken on a, a new life of its own in, across... The, the media, uh, serious, yes. Uh, it became, uh, yeah. It got picked up by the Chicago Bulls uh, as Michael Jordan's walk-on music, and ever since that day, a countless uh, 
countless sports events have used it, um, not not just basketball. The, the New Orleans Saints American football team used it uh, the year they won the Super Bowl, which was another great uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, p- people expect that uh, we get very rich because of uh, you know the, the countless plays that uh, Sirius gets, but it's unfortunately not the case because uh, it comes under the blanket agreement that that, that uh, stadiums have with. Uh, with the collection agencies, so we just uh, we just get lumped in mm-hmm. with all, all you know the, all the all the music that gets played at uh, at stadiums and uh, arenas and so on. So we 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 never actually get directly <laughs> paid for these things. But hey, I mean it, it's good exposure, and uh, you know I'm very proud of the fact that it's being used so much. It's uh, and that we are associated with it. It's a good feeling.
And then back more up to date. Am I right that as lights fall from uh, the secret, your latest album is that, is that the first track where you're actually on lead um, lead vocals? It, it's the first album track that I've uh, sung lead. Yes, um, I, I, right. I, I've done a couple of singles where I did uh, a vocal, but uh, yeah, it's the first song that uh, that I've done a full full blown live vocal on, and uh, it, it's good. And it's been uh, it's been fun to play it live as well. It's been uh, mm. I've been getting more confident as a singer in the, in the last year, so I'm enjoying singing the song live as well. And you've got a string of dates with the Alan Parsons Live project also coming up? Yes, we have. Um, we've got 10, 10 shows in uh, in the States coming right up. We've got uh, a tour of Europe, including Germany, Spain and Italy. Despite the dawn 
going to be doing a, a commemoration of the 40th anniversary of the Turn of a Friendly Card study in the summer. So I'm hoping that uh, Cherry Red can, can and and, the, and uh, Sally Wilson can get their skates on and uh, hmm. get get that ready so that we can release it in the summer in time for that uh, anniversary tour. Brilliant. I love, I love the track Time from that album. It's just wonderful. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, the, the time did incredibly well for us. It's a, it's a it's a fun favourite live as well. Yeah, I've heard it gets played at, at funerals and has got a real resonance with many people. It does. Um, uh, t- t- well, there's two songs that uh, people favour for funerals. Mm. <laughs> Doomy, gloomy, but uh, uh, old and wise mm. is another song that gets uh, gets played at funerals. Ah, yes, yeah. Colin. Yeah, yeah, marvellous. Thank you so much for your time, Alan. It's uh, hugely appreciated. I wish you all the best with the reissue of Ammonia Avenue. Okay. Um, mm. p- please. Uh, Please speak to the label uh, when when this goes out, because yes. I'd gladly take a listen. Brilliant. All right. Thanks a lot, Alan. All right. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.